Good morning, everybody. God bless you. It is great to be here today. Hey, I actually have the privilege of bringing you the message today. Thank you for your hope. Uh, hey, Pastor Josiah asked me to pinch hit, and it's a real blessing. Uh, normally what I do is work with these small groups, mentoring, helping people to find their place, uh, get involved here at New Life, and I love that. My wife and I work with the couples groups, and a lot of things I could tell you about that. Uh, but every now and then I get to preach, and so it's a blessing to be able to bring you a message that's been uh, kind of rolling around in my head for a little while, and uh, I want to bring to you what the Lord has been uh, impressing upon me. Before we get there, there's a lot of good things I wanted to talk to you about, some exciting things, our first week of small groups. But, you know, the world we live in, there's always good and bad. There's celebrations and tragedies at the same time. I do want to ask you to pray with me for a family that many of you know. Uh, the Pagan family, Mike and Maria, uh, started being a part of New Life about 20 years ago, raised their three children here, just relocated to Texas last year, and uh, just found out a while ago that their 30-year-old son, Matthew, uh, who's married to Melissa, two kids, I believe, came down with COVID, just found out today Matthew passed away. Wow. And so if you know the family, reach out to them. Boy, I've known Mike and Maria 20 years. I mean, losing a, a young adult, what, nothing like it. What, what can you say? Uh, what a tragedy if you know his sisters, uh, uh, if you know the family, if you know his wife, Melissa, who's left behind. Reach out to them. And I want to ask you just to pray with me. We pray for God's mercy, God's peace. What an awful situation. Thank God that he is bigger than death. Right? Thank God that the gospel is the promise of life after death, although we don't understand it all and it doesn't seem right and it's so devastating, uh, we know that there is hope there in the midst of the grief. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Matthew Pagan. Thank you. Uh, we, we, many of us knew him for years and years here and saw him grow up as a young man and did, uh, the life he had and that he was able to fall in love and get married and have children and live a full life and, and he was able to know you and serve you and he had a wonderful family. And Lord, although we don't understand things, we trust you, Lord, and we pray for your mercy and your peace upon the family at this time and for the Pagans, for his, his wife that he leaves behind, his children, his parents, his sisters, and the rest of family and loved ones. We pray for your peace upon them. We pray even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, may they fear no evil, Lord, for you are with them. Be with them, we pray in this time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So reach out to the Pagans if you know them. Well, I want to talk to you today about something that is uh, kind of heavy going along with that. It's, it's a message that is kind of the, the deep end of the pool, if you will, in the Christian life. But I hope you stick with me. Uh, there's a concept here, and we have these dividers up here to represent an idea that we understand in the physical world, but I think there's a parallel in the spiritual world, okay? And let me introduce that by telling you about a, another guy I met about 20 years ago who started attending New Life and got to know him real well. And he had an interesting job. He worked at Stroger Hospital, a.k.a. Cook County. And he said all day long he was in these intense conversations with doctors and specialists, surgeons, uh, as they talked about medical procedures with patients. And he heard all kinds of details, intimate details about people's illnesses and all these uh, heavy concepts about medical processes and diagnoses and treatments and life and death decisions. And the people wanted him there and they listened very intently to him. Ironically, he didn't have any medical training at all. I don't think he went to college at all. I'm not sure, but it, the story is better if he didn't. So I'm going to say he didn't go to college at all, okay? 
uh, he wasn't there because of his medical knowledge. He had just one thing that made him so valuable. He was bilingual. He was very fluent English and Spanish. And so often when there were patients that were Spanish only speakers and medical personnel that didn't understand Spanish, they call their interpreter department. And they had a whole team of people uh, for a bunch of different languages. And he would often get the call and have to go down and translate these very intense discussions because he could bring the medical information to the patient and the patient's information to the medical people. And so he was there in those conversations. It reminded me of that as I was thinking about this uh, topic today we're going to look at. And I want to bring you this idea. Here's, here's the big idea of this message. Big idea. I want to try and convince you of this. As Christians, we are responsible to translate the gospel. To translate the gospel. It's an amazing thing bilingual, going from one language to another. Now I'll tell you right up front, I'm an English only speaker. I grew up in the suburbs. It was English only. Moved to the city. Whole long story. Came to Christ at age 18. Wound up uh, by the grace of God being invited to new life at age 23. Came here to the back of the yards. Jumped in. Loved it. Met my wife there. Uh, but I realized a lot of people don't speak a lot of English sometimes. And, and in our church, there's a need to talk to people that often don't speak English. And uh, I figured I could Try and learn a language, boy, that's hard to do as an adult. Hats off to you if you learned a, a second language as an adult. That's extremely difficult. I felt like I don't have the aptitude to do that. I don't have the time to do that. So I'm going to outsource it. I'm going to rely on translators. So for over 30 years, I've relied on other people uh, to communicate, uh, if that's needed, to someone in Spanish, typically, sometimes Polish or another language. So it works pretty well. But there's, there's a deeper concept. I've been around enough bilingual conversations, enough translated conversation to understand something that you know, but I want to bring it into the spiritual realm. And we're going to look at the book of 2 Corinthians, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to grab my Bible here. And I hope that you read through the Bible regularly. Uh, if you just go through it page by page, chapter by chapter, it was given to us as a set of 66 books. So I want to encourage you, get in there. Get in there every day. I read the Bible not because I'm going to preach now and then, not because I'm a pastor. I read the Bible because I'm a Christian. And I want to survive. I want to keep my mind straight. Uh, I want my heart to be changed. I want to listen to the Lord. He has spoken to us. He has given us his word. So get in there, please, and read through it. Uh, I would encourage you to start in the New Testament. If, you're, if you don't have a plan right now or if you're not real familiar with the Bible, start going through it as kind of the center of the story where Jesus comes here. Just start reading straight through it. I know a lot of people jump around and there's value there, but some people read the Bible like I've seen people shop at the store on the sale rack. Just here's one thing that looks good, and here's another thing that looks interesting. Don't, don't do that, okay? Read straight through. It, it, it's worth it. it. Some days you won't get as much out of it, but the Lord speaks. He's given it to us this way. So I was reading this book, Second Corinthians, a while ago, and it really impressed me in a new way. So I want to bring it to you. Here's the background. Paul went with a team of people. They were called, as you know, to go start churches, to bring the gospel to different cities. So some people respond in this city called Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. A church starts. They write a letter back to them that we know as 1 Corinthians. They had a lot of problems in that church, but people knew Jesus and were taking certain steps. Uh, then we find out another letter, 2 Corinthians, that one of the things these people were struggling with was the idea that you shouldn't bring the gospel to people. 
it's not right to try and change people's religions. You shouldn't force your beliefs on others. Let people believe whatever they want. And people are giving a lot of pushback to Paul. You should never have started this church. It's a foreign thing. It's not for us, right? Similar to what we hear today sometimes. A lot of people are hostile to the message of the gospel. Keep it to yourself. It's private. Don't tell other people uh, your beliefs. Don't uh, try and push them or influence them. Now, Paul pushes back hard. I love Paul. He had a lot of backbone, didn't he? I mean, Paul clarifies why we need to bring the gospel to people. So he's pushing back in this passage we're looking at. That's kind of the context. So it's some heavy things, but he's saying why we need to bring this message of the gospel to people. Let's jump in in verse 10, all right? And uh, we're going to look at five words. I'm a simple guy. I like just five words in an outline, all right? So I'm going to encourage you, write this down. Some of you may have notes that were handed out. Uh, put it on your phone, or you can take that little envelope in front of you and write on it. Don't tell anyone I told you that, but go ahead, take the offering envelope if that helps. Write down on it. I want you to remember these five words, okay? Remember the saying, we're, we're responsible to translate the gospel. First word is fear. Read with me verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Now, when I read the Bible, I try and just go, go over it and just allow the words to stand out. Try and ask the Lord to block out distractions. Just take a word at a time. What does it mean? What does it say? How can I apply it? So the first word that stands out here is judgment to me. It's not a popular thing, right? I've seen a lot of people with little signs in their house or maybe their social media background or a post that says things like, Jesus is my friend, right? Jesus is my hope. He's my healer. He's my life. Even Jesus is my boss. I've never seen anyone post, Jesus is my judge. This is not a popular aspect, and yet that's part of who he is, the judgment seat of Christ. It says we're going to appear there, all of us. We're going to receive. It says receive. What are you going to get? It says good or bad, depending on what you've done with your life. Now think about it. You might say, well, great, I'm a believer. My sins are forgiven. I don't have to worry about it, right? Not so fast. It says we all appear there. We're going to be uh, rewarded or, or evaluated for what we have done. So how do you receive bad? If you're forgiven and you're not going to be punished, well, there is such a thing the Bible talks about honor or shame. It talks about regret. You may be in the family, but regret, wasted opportunities. There's Christians that waste their lives. We've all wasted some opportunities. Imagine wasting years and years and years, your life passing by and you didn't serve the Lord. You're a believer, but you didn't do what you could have done. And maybe when we stand before Jesus, we see what our life could have been. That's, that's bad. It's not punishment, but it's, it's regret, severe regret or shame. Think of a family that has children. Some of them live a great life. They're close with the parents and the siblings, and they bring honor by the way they live, but others bring shame and, and pain and regret. The relationship isn't the same. They're still in the family, but there's a loss of relationship because of the way they live. So again, this is heavy, a heavy thing, but it's a true concept. We're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to receive good or bad, and he says, we know what it is to fear the Lord. All right. When you hear that you're going to be judged for everything you, you've done, uh, it brings about a fear. That's a good thing. As soon as you say the fear of the Lord, for some Christians, there's a little alarm that goes off, and it seems like they always downplay it. Like, well, 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 it's just a reverence. It's just a deep respect. It's not really fear. 
But I want to bring to you, it is fear. If you look in scripture and at history, God does not play around. When people mess up, it is a severe thing. He, he's merciful, but he also punishes. I do not want to wind up on the wrong side of God's punishment and his anger. It's a real thing. Uh, we should fear the Lord. It's possible to have a too small of a view of God where he's our friend, our life coach, our helper, our servant, uh, and, and lose sight of who he is, the almighty God who created everything, who holds everything in control, uh, who sustains the whole world. Uh, as he told Job, he created the wild animals. Have you, think about a great white shark. I mean, you see those, I'm scared of a great white shark. I'm not going in the ocean. I'm scared of the one that made the great white shark. I don't want to wind up on his bad side. When you think of a relationship with God, fear is a building block. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. So think of a vertical line between you and God. The fear of the Lord should be the foundation, okay? You should fear the Lord, and it should lead us to live a certain way, deal with our own things, deal with our own issues, and also look at what he says there. Because we fear the Lord, we try to persuade others, right? Reaching out with uh, conversations about faith and Jesus often is difficult, right? You often encounter some negativity, some rejection, some hostility. It's easy to be silent, but if you fear the Lord, you should be motivated to have those conversations. Uh, if I fear people more than I fear God, then I don't want to talk to them. If I fear God, it gives me the boldness to say, I'm going to bring his message to whoever he tells me to talk to, right? So fear of the Lord should motivate us to persuade others. That's the first word. Okay, again, this is kind of heavy, but he's saying why we have to spread the word about the gospel. So fear, then love. Look at this. Following up, he drops down a couple, you can drop down a couple of verses. He defends what he's doing there. You can look at verses 12 and 13. In verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The love of Christ is a powerful thing, it is a force. It changes us. I hope you have experienced that. I hope it's active in your life today and moving. It heals wounds. It fills holes in our life where we had gaping wounds and anger and pain and, and we reacted in a certain way. Uh, he fills that so that now we're whole, we're healed, uh, uh, we can give. He meets our deepest needs through his love of uh, our desire for security and love, our desire for respect and significance. The love of Christ meets that need so that then uh, we can go out in life as someone who's healed, not just someone who's wounded, uh, someone who's whole, not someone who's incomplete, uh, someone that has a life and someone that can give. So in marriage ministry, my wife and I love to work with couples. And, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is in, in marriage, if, if we both have unhealed wounds, uh, we both are looking for love and respect from each other. It's like two people that are broke uh, trying to borrow money from each other, right? And I'm looking for especially respect from her as a man. She's looking for love and affection from me. It's hard to give when you don't have much, right? But there's an external source God provides for us. And through our relationship with God and, and the love of Christ comes into us, he gives us so much. We have an overflow. We can be givers, not just takers. And then it's like two wealthy people giving to each other, right? I can give and give and I'll never run out because God supplies, right? So marriage is different. Relationships are different. We're able to forgive. We're able to release because of what God has done in our life. If we can do that, then 
we have a boldness and a freedom to talk to other people. This stood out to me years ago, a story that came to mind as I was thinking of this. Uh, years ago, when I was first a pastor in the 1990s, I remember the first time I had to go speak at a wake. Kind of a different setting, right? A very tense, unhappy setting. And there was a woman here at church that uh, said one of her relatives had died. Can I come and speak at the wake? And so I went there, a funeral home on 63rd Street. It's no longer there, but I still remember this. Went there first time, so I was real nervous. So I said, okay, I'm going to give my condolences. I knew what I was going to read something from the book of John, say a few words about Jesus, pray. And I got there, and I was a little naive. I didn't, hadn't asked all the details. I found out it was actually her husband's relative. Her husband didn't attend New Life with her. They had some tension. He was strongly Roman Catholic. And when I got there, I realized she hadn't told him that she invited me, right? I was like, wow, thanks for, thanks for bringing me into your little tension here. Um, and he was upset, but she obviously was pressuring him. And so he said, okay, after the priest speaks, you can say a few words. So I thought, okay. So I'm not really wanted here, but the wife kind of fit me in here. So I was standing there and I felt so uncomfortable. Like, you know, I can tell they don't want me here. No one really wants to talk to me. They're giving me kind of hard looks like, who is this guy? I said, you know what? I'm not going to talk. You know what? They already got a priest. What? I, they don't need me. I, I'm just going to tell her, hey, I'll just, be, I'll just hang out for a while. God bless you guys. I don't need to say anything. I was just about to go and do that, and I felt like the Lord stopped me. I, I still remember this. And, you know, the Lord speaks to us in different ways. This is one time where I felt like he gave me a couple of specific sentences, real specific. He said, don't worry about what these people think about you. Worry about what they think about me. Man, that hit me. Don't worry about what they think about you. I realized, yeah, I'm concerned about people aren't going to like me. They, I'm not from their background. They're going to reject me. They don't know me. And so I had all these reasons not to speak, but it was all about me. I just felt like I was going to be uncomfortable, but I wasn't concerned about what they thought. I had an opportunity to say a word. Even if it wasn't a perfect opportunity, maybe it would help somebody, and I was going to throw that away because it was just uncomfortable for me. How often does that happen to us? Does it happen to you where, where you know you should talk to a friend, but you're like, ah, it's a little awkward. They might not like it. And well, they know some things about me that aren't perfect. And may, maybe it's not the right time. Someone else will go. I'm supposed to talk to a family member, a coworker, but you know what? I don't really know if they're going to like this. So, you know, I'll just pray for them, right? Oh, it's good to pray. But you know, sometimes we're the answer to prayer, right? <laughs> sometimes someone else is praying and we're the one that has to go. If you know the book of Jonah, right? He, he was called to go to a people he didn't really love and uh, he didn't want to go and he had a whale of a time. But eventually, eventually, <laughs> he got there because he found out it's hard to disobey the Lord. It doesn't work out well. So love compels us. So think about that. Do, do you love people enough to share with them and risk uh, even some rejection, some awkwardness, uh, it's not like these people are going to jump me on my way out to the parking lot, right? But even if they were, it's worth it. Uh, you know, I got to do what I got to do. So fear, love. The third word is perspective. Perspective. Look at this, okay? He's talking about why we need to share. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Look at that phrase, worldly point of view. I want to think about that. So here's why I have these dividers up here, okay? Think about two languages, English, let's say, and Spanish, okay? So right here, 
if, if I'm a Spanish-only speaker and that person's an English-only speaker, there's nothing in common. We can't talk. Uh, we need someone in between to translate. Now, if you're bilingual, you can go between both, right? And uh, maybe you're fully bilingual, maybe you're partway, you, you can get some of it, but you need some help for uh, more of it. So it's kind of a picture of, of two languages. Now think of that, not just with earthly languages, but with our view of life. Our world, the worldly point of view, I think in America you could use the word secular. Secular, which means that the focus is on physical things, spiritual things are unimportant. It's usually neutral or even hostile to spiritual things. So a view of the world that's all about what we can see, it's all about the physical world, that's the world we live in, right? It's all about how much money you have, how much things look, how things look, uh, what we can see, taste, touch, feel, what we can access with our physical senses. Spiritual things are, are either nonsense or it's some private thing, but it really isn't that important. That's the secular world. And over here, let's call it spiritual. There's a lot of different spiritual beliefs, but let's talk about Christian spirituality. This is understanding life as a Christian. Now, if you're a Christian, you are spiritually bilingual because you have a relationship with God and hopefully you're growing and understanding more of that life. You've experienced it, the love of God, the forgiveness, the grace of God. You're in this world and fellowship is when you talk to other people that speak this language, right? Hey, brother, hey, sister, you, you get it. Over here is the secular world. So you probably have this at your job, right? Some people, you know, you can't talk about spiritual things. They don't want to hear it. So you know how to talk secular. <clears throat> that doesn't mean it's all trash talk. It might be, but it just means it's secular. It's everyday life, things in the world. Over here, you talk spiritual. So there's different points of view. Think about how we view people. He says there, we don't view people from a worldly point of view anymore. In the world... How do we view people? They're valuable, but some people say, well, I just tolerate people. I just tolerate. I mind my business. They mind their business. I stay out of your way. You stay out of my way. I do me. You do you. That's very popular. Very, very easy. That, that's like a good American. I'm free. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. You do what you do. You just, we don't get in each other's way, right? That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is things like, I am my brother's keeper. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? The good Samaritan goes out of his way to help someone, even though he didn't have to. So not just tolerating people, also not just competing against people. That's in the world, of course, I can view it as you're my competitor. If you win at something, I lose. So it's all about what I can gather, what I can amass, and everyone's either on my side or they're my enemy. It's all about competition and taking. Whereas the spiritual worldview is life is about giving. Oh, it doesn't mean I trust everyone. I'm wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove, hopefully, as Jesus said. But my life is about giving to others, not just taking everything I can, not just gathering everything that's for me. One more. Think about this. Think about this. In the world, people would judge you by how you look. It's all about the looks, right? I mean, that's the way we are. It's nothing new. There's a story in the Bible, I love this, 1 Samuel 16. I love this saying, if you know this story, when the prophet Samuel was called to go to a certain family and anoint or appoint the next king. And he went there, and his family had eight sons, and so they say, wow, it's amazing. One of our sons is going to be the next king. So they bring him out. It's like one of those shows, whatever, uh, right, American Idol or something. Which one's it going to be? And they thought, for sure, it's the oldest man. He looks like a king. He is impressive. And Samuel sensed it's not him. 
I said, okay, too bad. Well, he, most people would have drafted him in the first round. Well, if it's not him, you must be picking number two. This guy is, is something else. Didn't pick him. And you know the story. He passed up all of them and picked the least impressive one at that point, which was David, the youngest. And they, they were like, are you sure? And maybe they said, I, can we try this again? Are you sure about that, Samuel? And But he said, makes this great statement. He says, Man looks at the outside or the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Wow. So in the world, it's just the same way today, right? People will look at the outer self and judge you. And so we got to take care of ourselves and be presentable and do the best we can with what we have. But understand, God looks at the inside, at the heart. So what does that mean? Um, Let's talk about our bodies, okay? God's given us a body. A body is a good thing. Uh, it's a blessing from God. Uh, Jesus had a body. It's not a sin to have a body. It's not a sin to take care of yourself. We have to manage these bodies, but understand they're temporary. They're temporary. The world doesn't get that. The world acts like the, the body is everything. My looks are everything. Here's what I like to say. This is my starter body. You know how some people have a starter house? They hope one day to get a better house or starter job. You want to get another job. Listen, the Bible tells us one day we're going to get a new body, okay? You're going to get a new body. There's a few jokes I could make, but they could go wrong, so I'm just going to let it slide there. But you can just think about that concept. Now, this, this is strange to the world. People don't talk this way. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 later. I'm telling you, we get a new body. This is temporary. So when things begin to go wrong, listen, if you have a problem or if someone's complaining to you about something minor, maybe just throw that out to them. Say, well, good thing it's just your starter body. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? There's an inroad to talk about the gospel, right? Because this body doesn't last forever. We get another one. However, we not only are a body, we have a soul. We have a soul. Now, in the world, people aren't sure what to make of the soul. Hardcore secularism says there's no such thing that's nonsense. There's no spiritual world. People just want to believe in it, okay? That's the hardcore secularism. Softcore secularism, which is probably more common, says, okay, there's a soul, but we don't really know what it is. It's pretty much whatever you want it to be, and it's private. If you think something works for your soul, good for you. If you're into that, that's fine. I talk to a lot of people that say, well, that's just not my thing. You can talk about soul and peace and inward things and God. That's just not my thing. The truth is you can't opt out of having a soul. You have a soul. Some people don't know they have a soul. We need to tell them, you have a soul. You're not just a body. You're not just a mind. The soul is real. The soul lasts forever. So in the Christian realm, hopefully we understand this in the spiritual realm, the soul is eternal. The soul is more important even than the body. That's why you read things like uh, physical training is of some value, 1 Timothy 4. But godliness holds value both for, for more value, holds value for this life and for the next life. Okay? It's more important who you are on the inside. Or it makes sense of, of Jesus' words when he says, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Your soul lasts forever. So we understand that uh, on this side. So translating the gospel is about letting people know you have a soul. Your life is more than your body, your bank account, your job, your relationships. You have a soul. So we understand that it goes forever. And listen, when we die, we don't get a new soul. We don't get a new soul. Whoever we are in our soul, our innermost being, what we love, what we've worshipped, who we've become, we take that with us into eternity. 
Now, I don't know how all that works and how much we change in eternity. There's mystery there, but we don't get a new soul. Your soul will continue on while your body won't. Think about that. That, that hits me often when I go to wakes and funerals. Um, our soul lasts forever. So that's two different languages, two different points of view about people, the body, the soul. We are trained over here. We are discipled. You know how we have first steps books? The world has first steps books, right? Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and everything else. We are trained to look at life a certain way where in God's eyes, there's a lot of truth that people miss out. And there's a whole nother world that people are ignorant of, okay? So understand and help people grasp it, that there is a soul. One other thing I want you to see in this section, look in verse 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ. Here's the thing. There's a difference between being in church and in Christ. Big difference, okay, big difference. Sad to say, a lot of churches seem like they wind up uh, pushing people to be in church to support the organization, the tradition, maybe a certain background, a certain culture, uh, maybe certain things in, in the man, uh, in the human sense, in the worldly sense, we're trying to accomplish certain things or politics. A lot of churches, this can happen where it's all about being a part of the organization, being in church, but not being in Christ. A church should always push people to be in Christ. That's the goal. So, it's good that you're in church. I love the church. Uh, the church is the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. Jesus is building his church. It's the community of faith. We work together. But don't just be in church. You need to make sure you're in Christ. In church is like horizontal. If you have that, that's good. If you're just coming around, you're getting to know people. But make sure you go vertical, that you're not just in church, but in Christ. All right? Does that make sense? So at the end of this message, I, I want to give you a chance. If you say, I'm in church, but I don't think I'm in Christ, I want to give you a chance today to say, I want to be in Christ. It's that important. You cannot miss this, okay? We talk to people all the time, and I ask them about their relationship with God, and they start talking about church. Well, I was baptized when I was a baby, and I go to this church, that church, blah, blah, blah. And I say, that's good, but if you, do you have Jesus in your life? And it's like the question is hard to understand. People say, well, yeah, I, I went to this church and I, I'm actually over here at this place. No, 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 but I didn't ask if you're in church. That's cool. But are you in Christ? It's a big difference. So as you bring the gospel to people, have that conversation. Show them the difference between in Christ and in church. All right, so fear, love, perspective. Next word I want you to look at with me, reconciliation. Reconciliation, a long word. We use that in marriage, right? When a, a couple is separated, and if they work through things and get back together, we say the marriage is reconciled. They should be together. Something separated them. Now they're back where they should be together. Or in accounting, it's used. A little less romantic of a picture, but if there's a problem in accounting, we say the, these accounts need to be reconciled. There's a sin on the spreadsheet. We gotta find it and repent of that and put in the right number. And then it's the way it should be. The accounts are reconciled and we can breathe a sigh of relief. It's the way it was supposed to be. So reconciled is making things right. We need to be reconciled to God and we need to bring that message to people. Look at this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, not just through the church, right? Through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now look at this. He says he's given us two things here, two things he's given to us, the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Now I wish, honestly, I wish the Lord would just do this all on his own sometimes. Like 
Do I need to be involved? Can I just give a little bit? Can I just celebrate uh, good things when people's lives are changing? I don't always want to be involved, but the Lord says, no, we, as Christians, we are called to be a part of the process. He has given us the ministry and the message. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Ministry is service. It's our lifestyle. It's the way we live. It's being an example. It's representing Jesus in all that we do. Uh, that is like walking the walk. It should make people want to hear what we have to say. The message is the specific words, the truth and the content. You need both. Hopefully the ministry prepares people to listen to the message, right? Uh, it's kind of like music. Good music makes people want to hear the lyrics. If you have bad music, no one wants to hear the lyrics, right? So if you have lyrics without music, not as many people will listen. You need good music, good lyrics. The ministry, the lifestyle leads people to want to hear the words. So the words is talking the talk. If Christians talk the talk but don't walk the walk, naturally people say, ah, you're not who you say you are. You know, you talk about God, but you treat people bad. We know that, and people will call you a hypocrite, right? So we got to walk the walk. But another danger that's very common is walking the walk but not talking the talk. You treat people well, but you never actually bring up Jesus. Some people work at their job around people that need the Lord. They're people that are over here that don't understand these Christians. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you're a believer, and you have the chance to talk to them. And you live the life in front of them, hopefully, and they see, wow, you're really good. I really appreciate you listen to me. You treat people well. And I see you don't cut corners. You don't lie, and you don't cheat. And you don't gossip. And, man, you don't talk about women the way the other guys do. Why don't you do that? Don't just say, ah, it's just not my thing. No, that's just not the way I am. Don't say that. You're giving yourself the glory, right? Don't say, oh, I'm just not that type of guy. No, no, no. Bring up the Lord. And you do it in a, in a way where, where you go a little bit at a time and diplomatic and love it. But you say, you know what? My life changed five years ago when I found out this and blah, blah, blah. And you get into the gospel. You know, I learned about Jesus. Or you can just say, I fear God. <laughs> I know there's a God who's real and I'm going to stand before him. And so I don't talk about that way or go this direction not because I'm afraid of getting caught, but because I, I love God and I know God. So bring up the Lord. Don't be vague. Don't be general. Uh, don't work with people for 10 years and they say, yeah, she was, she was a really good woman. No, I hope they say, you know, she talked about God. And maybe they reject you, but at least they know she, she had a relationship with God and she was different. Uh, that's what she talked about. And she talked the walk and she walked the walk too. She talked the talk and walked the walk. Do both, okay? The ministry and the message. It's like that saying you, you hear, um, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, right? It's, it's a little bit of a popular saying. I actually don't like that saying, all right? Let me push back on it. I know it's kind of popular. I get the good sentiment and the point of it. Uh, let me push back, okay? I've seen that all over the place, even on T-shirts. Does anyone have that on their shirt today? Let me ask real quick. Hopefully not. If you do, stop by the Next Step Center. We will give you a shirt. We'll give you two shirts. Okay, let me push back. Okay, here's what I'm saying. I get the idea, but the idea of that, it implies that words are optional. Words aren't necessary. You just walk the walk, people will figure it out. That's very appealing because it's often the words that are more difficult and it can lead to rejection or put me on the spot. So that it appeals to us to say, yeah, I can just preach the gospel with my life. I don't need to actually talk about Jesus. That's too controversial. Don't buy into that. We don't know exactly where that saying came from. I've heard it attributed to a bunch of people. I'll tell you who didn't say it is anybody in the Bible, okay? 
Nobody in the Bible said that, all right? Listen, words are essential. Jesus said in Mark 8, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of them. It's one thing to love the works of Jesus and say, I love the fact he healed people. He cared for the poor. He talked to the Samaritan woman. He went out of his way. He lived a perfect life. But it's another thing to love the words of Jesus that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And there's a narrow road and a wide road. Uh, Jesus fed thousands of people. People loved him. Then he started to talk about following him. And a lot of people are like, see, I'm out of here, right? So some people love the works of Jesus, not the words of Jesus. Some people are going to love your walk and the fruit of your life. And when you start to talk about Jesus, they're going to distance themselves. That's okay. You can't control it. You need to be faithful, though, because people need the ministry and the message, okay? So I like the way uh, somebody turned that around. Preach the gospel at all times. If possible, use words, all right? I might get a t-shirt that says that. If possible, Look for an opportunity. You're working. you got to take care of your job. But at lunch break afterwards, do this on social media. Start sowing seeds, little things to bring up uh, things about Jesus and the gospel and faith. All right? If possible, use words. So let me give you this, this little saying. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Oh, man, it's so easy to, and I've done that so many times. You back down because you, you feel like it's not the right time or they might not respond. Don't be shy. We can't talk to everyone, but there's some people you're supposed to have a faith conversation with. Don't be shy. Be bold and say, I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring up the topic of spiritual things. Talk about your life. People like to hear stories. They like to hear about your life. Tell them what God is doing in your life. Tell them you believe in prayer. Do you believe in prayer? Ask them if you believe in prayer and say, hey, could I pray for you? And they might say, well, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not really into prayer. Well, I am. You know, I, I, hey, could I pray for you? And then you can talk about how the Lord works in your life, why you believe in prayer. And there is a spiritual realm. Life isn't just the physical. There actually is a spiritual world. Start bringing it up. And they say, well, I'm not really a, you know, a spiritual, a church person. That's okay. Neither was I. And neither was tons of people I know. But we live in this world. And we're all going to die. Are you ready? Do you believe in life after that? Bring the conversation as far as you can take it. Don't be shy. So that's reconciliation. Let's look at translation, finally. Translation. Verse 20, here's the word that really made me think about bilingual. It's right in here. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, in other words, we beg you, we ask you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's kind of a summary of the gospel. The gospel isn't just come to church and join our church. It's not just be a good person. It's not just have a good day. God bless you. But the message is, is this. Be reconciled to God. You need that. We're distant. We've sinned. We've done wrong. It's not always popular. But be reconciled to God. In the verse 21, this is a, a beautiful summary of the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus became sin so we could become righteous. That's the message. We are the ones that bring it to people. Ambassadors. Ambassadors are basically messengers. Nowadays, I think of that term a little more like it's a formal, kind of a bureaucratic um, formality. No offense if you're an ambassador, but it doesn't seem like the most significant role. Like heads of state can just pick up the phone or get online and talk to each other. Not back in the day. Think about back in the day in the first century when this was written, one country wants to communicate to another country, they would send people with a message. It was extremely difficult to travel, uh, hundreds of miles, sometimes thousands of miles on whatever, a camel, a horse, or on a ship. 
They would get all the way there. They had brought a message. I'm sure they, they figured out they had to be bilingual. Can you imagine traveling a thousand miles and then you get there and no one understands us? Why didn't we bring someone that spoke that language, right? So I'm sure they figured out we need to be bilingual because we're going to go talk to some people and we need to talk in a way they can understand. And it's very dangerous. There's a lot of ambassadors or messengers that have been killed throughout the years. That's why the saying exists, don't shoot the messenger, right? Because it's, it's happened, right? So we are in that role. We are the messengers, or could I say this? We are the translators. We are Christ's translators. You stand between people that, that need God, and, and maybe they have some knowledge, maybe they have some religion, maybe they don't, but they're in the secular world, and they don't fully understand the spiritual world. It's, it's shielded off to them. They don't understand it. We are the translators. We stand in between, okay? Uh, now, to think about that, to, to picture that, uh, I, want, I want to talk about being bilingual. Just like when, when you think of English and Spanish, uh, there's all different levels of bilingual. I discovered that. Again, I was very naive when I moved to the city, and I realized it's not like you're either bilingual or not. There's a lot of people that are partway, 10 20%, 50%, right? Some translators uh, are, are better than others. Um, have you ever run into someone that says they know a language, but they don't seem like they really know it, right? Have you ever had that? I've had that happen. Most people seem like they're honest about where they're at. But once in a while, I've had a friend, and it seems like often it's someone that didn't grow up with a language, but they took a class, or later on, they think they're bilingual. I've had people tell me, I learned Spanish. I say, great, good for you. And then I see them in a setting, and they try and have a conversation. It's not going very well. It's like not happening. I've even gone out to eat with people and say, hey, let me order off the menu in this Mexican restaurant. I say, go ahead, go ahead. I want to order in Spanish. Fine. And then they try and order, and boy, it's a tough conversation. <laughs> I'm like, man, that, the waitress was right there just waiting. She even had a paper and a pen. That's kind of unusual. The, just a survey. It's conversation is all about you. There were pictures on the menu. It's the easiest conversation you could possibly have, and it wasn't working too well. I'm not sure if you're bilingual, man. Um, it's okay if you're that way, right? And again, I'm 0% bilingual, so I, I, I say that. Uh, I'm not saying I'm better than that, but be honest about where you're at, right? I call that shaky bilingual. So I, I've joked with some friends and said, you're shaky bilingual. You, you know some, but if I really need a message to get across, I, I think I'm going to find someone else. No offense, all right? <laughs> so some, it's hard learning another language, knowing it. Some people are shaky bilingual. Be honest. Here, here's what's not good, to be shaky bilingual about the spiritual life, right? Don't be shaky when someone asks you about the spiritual things and you have a real hard time talking about it. Some people say, oh yeah, I've been in church. I'm a Christian. And then they get asked a question and they're like, ah, uh, I don't know. And they're just real general. Like, how can I have a relationship with God? I don't know. You just got to believe. Well, believe what? Believe how? And someone says, are Christians, you guys just don't do A, B, and C, right? Yeah, it's kind of like that. No, we're not just people that don't want to do a few things in the world. Or people being a hard time, and I've been in spots where someone's struggling to say something. They just say, well, everything happens for a reason. Ah, like, why? Could you be a little more specific? That just, I don't see anybody like coming to Christ because you say something real general like that, which isn't in the Bible. Um, so don't be shaky. Here's how you overcome being shaky. It's a long process. Just like learning a language takes practice and immersing yourself and, and putting it in your mind little by little by little, right? In the same way, spiritually, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Again, get in the Bible a little bit every day, a little bit every day. You know, it's hard learning a language as an adult. Man, it's hard if you came to Christ as an adult. It's like you're learning a new language, right? 
You say, well, I grew up learning secular, man. People do something to me, I do something back. It's uh, insult for an insult. It's anger, it's pride, it's lust, it's greed. I know how to speak that language. Yeah, you grew up that way, but now you're a Christian. You need to learn this new language. You can do it. God gives you the ability because you have the Holy Spirit. You learn to speak the language of the Spirit. It's different than the language of the secular world, okay? But you have to learn little by little. Uh, get in the Bible every day. Again, if you're not doing anything, just get in the New Testament. Start reading a chapter a day. Write something down. Underline it. Memorize it. Think about it. Talk about it with other people. This is what we do in small groups. It's kind of like practicing a language. Like if I was trying to learn Spanish, I'd get around Spanish speakers and I would talk, right? I'd talk, I'd try and learn little by little. That's what we do in small groups in a sense, right? Learning the language of the faith. How do I handle this? Going through a hard time or a temptation or I messed up or I feel bad about myself or something from the past is bothering me. And people that speak the language of the spirit are helping me to process that and understand it. Not in the secular way. I could get that advice a lot of places, but I, I need the spiritual language. How do you translate that experience into my life right now, right? And you learn to speak it, and that's great when you can translate for someone else and have that joy. So I want to picture this just for a couple minutes. Let me ask a few brothers, uh, some of the guys from the altar team. Come on up here. I need three guys. Let me just get three guys up here first, just to put a picture in your mind how this works, all right? So... Let's give our brothers a hand, our all-star altar team. Thanks. So come on. Jose, come on over here. So Jose's going to be the guy that needs the Lord. Doesn't quite understand. He's in the secular world. He thinks about God, but he just doesn't get it. And then Phil over here is going to be, he's actually going to represent, stand behind this, this divider. I was going to say he represents God, but that's too lofty. So we're going to say he represents the gospel, Okay. He represents the truth, right? So that brother over there, he doesn't see this. He doesn't get it. He needs it. But in between is this translator. So brother Rob here is the translator. He goes in between both worlds. So he goes over there, goes over there, right? He knows how to operate with these guys, get along with these guys. They respect him. He walks the walk. They know him. Maybe they've seen his life change. But he also talks to them about the spiritual life because he understands this world as well, right? So he goes over here. He is bilingual spiritually. He understands how this works. So he understands that. So as he stands in between, stand in between so he can see both of them. So he's trying to convince this man to, to understand this, to give this a chance, to understand it, uh, to experience it. And then there's a problem. I need one more. Let me get that. Jeremiah, come up here. One more thing that gets in the way, okay? And, and I heard something just this weekend that made me think about this. So stand right here. Stand right here. So one of the problems in translation when it comes to the spiritual life is that there's imitation spirituality. There's false things. There's scandals. There's people that say they're Christians that do horrible things. And so this guy over here, he looks at that and he said, I heard about this church that did this. They took all this money and they did this. I heard about this pastor that did all this sexual immorality and hid it and all this. I saw a documentary about this cult. This is false religion. It's a distraction. There's people that miss out on the truth because they see this. And so as a translator, part of what we need to do is to deny and say, hey, this, yeah, it's real. It's real. 
but it's not what you need. This is not the gospel. This is a deception. It's wrong. It's nonsense. It's a lie. This is not the Christian life. This is the Christian life, right? So you're clarifying because people will talk to you, right? And they'll say, I heard this story. I heard that. Yeah, yeah, that story's real. But listen, that's not real Christianity. This is real. And this has changed my life. Don't be distracted with this, all right? So we deny, we deny the falsehood. We testify to your own life. You give your testimony about how God has changed your life and you clarify too. You, could, you deny, you testify, you clarify, explaining life uh, step by step. So if, if these brothers talk a lot, if these men talk a lot, then he's explaining step by step why he does what he does, little by little. Talk about your life, your weekend, the ups and downs, how God's working and every different area of life, from your thought life to money to how you handle disappointment and family, everything. And listen, when you're under stress, people really get to see the gospel in action. Don't think, well, it's a bad time, I can't talk now. No, sometimes that's when your light shines the brightest, right? And can I remind you too, that as we raise children, the children are over here, they're being raised in the secular world. We hope they're, they're bilingual right away, but they have to learn the language and, and they get to see it from us. Parents are some of the first translators, right? For kids to understand everything in life and hopefully the, the spiritual life too. So everything you do, you're teaching them how to speak. Do you just speak secular, but we, we do a little spiritual on Sunday or do we always try and interpret life through the spiritual lens? All right, thank you, men. Let's give them a hand. So we're going to wrap up, but I want to give you that, that thought. You are responsible to translate the gospel. There's somebody that needs to hear it from you. Will you stand with me? As we wrap up and the worship team comes up to close us up, there are three people I want to invite to pray today. Though. Three people, okay? Three types of people. One is if you say, I've been shy. I am shy about sharing with someone. I, you know, I think I fear God and I love people, but boy, I, I, I love myself and I fear people too because I just don't want to talk to them. And so I want to push past that. There's somebody I need to talk to. If there's somebody in your mind that you will talk to this week, bring up a faith conversation, sow a seed, try and start a conversation. If you say, yeah, I've been shy, I want to invite you to come on up here as a worship team prays, plays, and I want you to pray for that person and to say, yes, I will. I will this week have that conversation. I'm going to turn away from being shy. Uh, the second person is a person that says, I'm shaky. I, I don't even try to learn the spiritual language. I just figure out, just, you know, let other people figure it out on their own. I'm, I've been busy with other things. I'm not really growing in my ability to explain the faith. If you say, I want to be more solid, I want to be more fluent in explaining the Christian life to people, I want you to come here and pray if you need to and say, Lord, help me to move from being shaky to being solid. I want to speak this language. But the third one is anyone that says, you know, I'm in church, but I'm not sure I'm in Christ. I'm not really sure I'm in church. And if you're online, you're, you're counted as in church, but are you really in Christ? If you're not sure, listen, decide today. I want to talk to you. So listen, I could just close the service and skip this part, but I feel like I'd be being shy right there. If you need to say, I want to be in Christ today and I'm not sure I'm there, I want to pray with you right now, okay? I want to pray with you right now. I'm going to be right over here so that you can say today, Jesus, I know I've done wrong. I want to be reconciled with God. I turn from my sin. I believe he died for my sins. I ask him to forgive me, come into my life. Do you need to make that step today? Anybody, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Don't be shy about taking that step, okay? My part is to offer it to you. Your part is to take that step. Anybody that says, I need to be in Christ today, 
okay? If you need to take that step, I'm going to be right over here. If you want to turn from being shy or being shaky, pray right now as we close in worship. Amen.